This is the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc, episode 107. You ready? You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Blanc. Hey there, and welcome everyone to the show. My name is Michael Blanc. I'm really excited that you're here to learn about apartment building investing because the best way to become financially free with real estate is apartment building investing. So I'm really excited that we had our Financial Freedom Summit this past weekend, and it was over 100 people there experiencing what it's like to do a deal from start to finish. So we worked in small groups together, groups of five to buy a 69-unit apartment building. We had awesome networking, and it was really, really energizing. I was a bit drained Sunday afternoon, but man, I just love that kind of stuff. We're going to do it again in October, so keep a lookout on themichaelblanc.com forward slash event to see when that next date in October will be. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I got back from the Real Estate Guys Cruise on Sea, and it was this fantastic time with really high caliber people. And what surprised me, and I always enjoy it, what surprised me is the amount of spiritual conversations that I had with people sitting in a bus, hanging out by the pool. And then Robert Kiyosaki gets up there for his book study and talks about be, do, have. And it wasn't about making more money, paying less taxes, or how messed up our school system is. It was about getting your being right before you can do really anything of meaning. And I reflected on this. I thought that was very profound, like a lot of things that Robert does, and sometimes it's not immediately obvious what he's trying to get across. But here's an example that he mentioned in the Be, Do, Have, and that is that you have to be someone first before you can do and have. Like if I want to have something, I want to have a million dollars, I want to quit my job, the doing part is to do your first deal so that you can do your second or third, you know, you've quit your job. So it's the do part, you get that. But the question is, a more fundamental question is, who do you have to be? before you even start to do and have. And this is something that for a long time, I've kind of discounted this as kind of hooey. But if I reflect on my own past, this is so important. And so I want to talk about the importance of the B. And a lot of the B is really has a lot to do with your character. And frankly, your relationship with God, your spirituality, they go very, very close together. And I just have found that over the last 12 years now, since I've been a full-time entrepreneur, when I started on this journey, there was really three key lessons that I had to learn before I could be successful. You know, when I first started off in 1997, I joined a software startup company called Web Methods that was in the right place, the right time. And three years later, we went from zero to $200 million in revenue, had the most successful software IPO in history. You can look up in March of 2000, just Google Web Methods IPO. And it was an unbelievably heady time. Now, by the time we were able to sell any kind of shares, we had come down quite a bit because the stock market crashed literally the next day after. But nevertheless, it put a bunch of money in my pocket and it made me appear that I'm a successful person. As I was reading some autobiographies or biographies of these very important, you know, really famous people, and one of the things I noticed is that they had failures, sometimes massive and repeated failures, and I really hadn't failed at anything. I was successful. I had all this money in my bank. I had a great family. I had a nice house. So I was like, something is wrong either with those people or something with me. So when I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad in late 2004, and five, I actually left my job in pursuit of passive income. And looking back on it now, my being was not ready. In fact, it was so far from being ready that I ended up losing my entire net worth the next seven years because my being wasn't ready. And I look back on this stuff and I want to share these things with you because I feel kind of very strongly. I normally don't talk about these things, but I've found every time I talk about these things, people affirm me and they share kind of their story. So I'm going to kind of get this out here and I'd love to hear what you have to say 
in the show notes later on, which is themichaelblanc.com forward slash session 107. Love to hear your thoughts on this entire topic. But here's three things that I learned, and they were fairly sequential. The first thing I learned was I don't control anything. Like I said, I felt very successful. I felt like I controlled my destiny. I did a good job with my career. I managed my managers. I managed my team properly. And I was just kind of climbing the ladder and was being very successful. I was given more and more responsibility. But when I went out on my own, and if you remember, my big idea wasn't real estate at the time. It was actually restaurants. So I took my money and my idea after reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad is to get into a series of pizza restaurants. I knew a bunch of franchisees that hadn't gotten in and it's like this much to open. We're going to hire an experienced multi-unit operator. They're going to run everything and we're going to sit back and count the passive income. And that's exactly what I wanted to do. So I did everything. I quit my job. I flipped some houses. I took apartment building boot camp. I learned how to trade stocks and options. And I was doing everything kind of at the same time. But really my big idea was these restaurants. So we built our first one in 2006. We bought another franchisee out and then we built another one. So within you know six to nine months, we were at three restaurants. I'd hired a really capable multi-unit experienced operator and we were just doing really well, except for that second one that we bought. And that one we struggled with. So we took it over. It was like $6,000 in sales that we, when you took it over, which is not good for a restaurant. Just by the way, you're losing money at that point. But I felt I had a knack for marketing. And then my operator had a knack for operations and customer service and really getting the team together. And had worked in the first restaurant, even was working in the third restaurant. But this one, for some reason, we just couldn't move the needle. And we're starting to lose more and more money. And this was our second restaurant that we had acquired or opened that we controlled. And nothing I did, did anything. Like after six months of this, we moved the needle from like 6,000 to like $6,400 a week in sales. And it was unbelievably frustrating. I was like, my gosh, I got to start making money because we weren't really making any money with the first restaurant because it was new in the third one. So we're actually, we're losing money like every single month. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to turn into be a complete nightmare. So I got the strong sense that despite my best efforts, I couldn't actually control the outcome for the first time in my life. And it was the, the most unbelievably painful experience to me because here I felt very, very successful. I felt I was ready. And all of a sudden, nothing I did worked or mattered at all. And it was this first lesson I learned that you don't control anything. And I remember having a conversation with God about this situation. I said, you know, you kind of got me into this. You got me into the situation. And I just refused to believe that you're going to let me fail. This is what I believed. In that moment, I started thinking, instead of being angry at God, I started asking the question, what should I be learning? I got this strong sense that I needed to learn something. It was this loss of control. I needed to give up control. That was my first lesson. And I was pretty stressed at this time. Obviously, it was new to me and I was losing money. And I'm not used to losing $10,000 a month. I'm used to making $10,000 a month in a salary. So this was very stressful for me. And after I kind of gave this up to God saying, okay, well, you put me in here. You're in charge. I'm not. I'll continue doing the best I can, but you're going to have to show up. Because if you don't, well, we're going to go the hay in a handbasket. All right. And it's all your fault. <laughs> so once I gave this up, first of all, the first thing I had, I got a, a sense of peace around me. And then all of a sudden what happened, you're not going to believe this, but the week after I had kind of surrendered this up a little bit or a lot bit, the sales went up to like 7,500. And the week after that, this was going to December. So normally the beginning of December is kind of slow and then it kind of picks up and then to January it dips back down. So beginning of December, it goes up to 7,500. The week after that, it went to 8,500. The week after that, it went to 9,500. And then the slowest week of the year, which is the first of January, it went up to 10,500 in the span of four weeks. I mean, insane, right? And it was so clear that I had nothing to do with that. 
and is actually God telling me that, you know what, I exist, and yes, I am in control, and you're doing a good job, because now you know I'm here. And that was one of my biggest faith experiences that I've had. And I, you know, I grew up Christian, and I went to church all the time, but I really never tested it. You know, I never really exercised my faith. I never really had to. I mean, if you're successful all the time, you, know, you could argue, why do you need God? And I think a lot of us are in this, I'm pretty successful, why do I need God anyway? And sometimes we look at it and go, well, if you think you need God, then it's a kind of a sign of weakness. And so I never really exercised my faith until that point. And that was kind of lesson number one. And some time went by, and I finally got into an apartment building in 2011. I flipped a bunch of houses at this point. We had a bunch of restaurants. They were going at K at the time. We were actually pretty good, except for my first apartment building deal was a complete nightmare. I mean, it was like, I mean, you can read about it on, on my website, but it was like the worst case scenario you can think of. I had a tenant in there who not only was not paying rent, but he was a professional tenant, so he knew how to use the system. So not only was he not paying rent, but he was trying to make my life difficult for me by making me go bankrupt. So I had syndicated my first syndication. I'd raised money for the uh, house flips before because I deployed everything into the restaurants. And so I raised money for this apartment building. The first time I've done that, it was really cool. And then this happened. So he would not pay rent. He would call the local authorities. Every time we walked in there with a hammer, he would call the permit guy. The permit guy, of course, when they have to come out to the property, we'll find something wrong. Then you get fines. Then you have to make sure you have to get permits. Well, to actually replace a fixture, you need a permit in the great district of Washington, D.C., but it takes four hours to pull a $25 permit for said fixture. Well, and only a licensed plumber can do that. You can't send some kind of lackey. So they're in line for four hours. They charge you $500 for a $25 permit. And if you don't get that permit and you get caught, they charge you $1,000. So he was doing this on a constant. We were trying to renovate the building and he made our life miserable. Then he called the lead paint people. So now we had lead paint people coming over there. Then he tried to rile up the other tenants to not pay rent. And it was just a cluster. This went on for almost two years. Uh, he would sue me in housing court and make up these 12 ridiculous things. And he would just do it every six weeks over the same things. Until one point, we had a hearing schedule with a judge because the judge was like, this is ridiculous. You guys are here for the same freaking things. Why don't we do a mediation of some sort? And so this is becoming really, really stressful for me. This is my first real apartment building deal, my first you know, investors, and things are not going well at all. In fact, I'm going to run out of money. All the rent they're not paying, all the fines and the permits and the attorney fees that I was racking up, it was really weighing for me because a lot was riding. It was really part of my big strategy at the time was going from single family house to multifamily and it was not going well at all. And I started getting very, very tense again. Even though I had learned my lesson that I don't control anything, it still, <laughs> it helps a little bit, but you're still very stressed when things are that going on. Yes, I don't control anything, but man, this is not going well at all. And I remember this was a week before this hearing and I had this, again, this strong sensation that I needed to learn something. What am I supposed to learn here? And my lesson at the time was very strong, was that I need to learn how to be at peace, regardless of what's going on around me. Because there's things out there, now that you learn that you don't control them, well, now you need to see how you react to things that you don't control. And I was very reacting in a very stressed, very high anxiety kind of way. So again, I was reminded of, hey, you don't control everything, give it up, be at peace. And I remember it was like, literally like a physical weight was lifted from my shoulder I slept all night long, and I was fine all the way until that hearing. It was amazing. So I walk in this hearing, and there's my property manager, there's the tenant, and the judge, and me. And the judge is going, reading through the same things about, you know, the lack of cubic output of the AC as prescribed, because he knew the law. He's a smart guy. And the judge at one point looks over and goes, are you serious? Right? Like, it's how ridiculous it is. And I'm sitting there, I'm not saying anything, because I'm just letting this go. After about a half hour, he stands up and reaches out and gives me his hand. He said, I'd like to spend a few minutes with Mr. Blanc. 
And I was just got up. I was startled. I got up, shook his hand. And before I know it, the judge and the proper manager are out the room. And within five minutes, they come back and they say, well, what do you want to do? And he says, yeah, I'm going to drop all charges. And everybody was like, what the heck just happened, right? What happened? Before I know it, I'm down in the cafeteria chatting with him like long lost friends. I just couldn't believe it. And he goes, you know, leans at me, goes, you know what? I'll take care of the back rent. You don't have to worry about me anymore. And to this day, guys, I don't know what in the world happened. (laughs) And I'm not saying, you know, there's a cause and effect here. All I'm saying is what happened. And again, nothing I did, or as far I can say anyone else did, but to the grace of God, basically turned this man around for reasons I still can understand today. And he stopped doing what he was doing. And it was amazing. And so, you know, these things happen and you start developing a peace around yourself. And so I feel like this prepared me for the third phase, which is where the restaurants became a real, real problem. In about 2012, 2013, the margins had shrunk and I got very complacent on the restaurant side. I had six restaurants. I was meeting with my operator once a week and, you know, kind of patting ourselves on the shoulder and counting my passive income. I was like in the state of semi-retirement. I was flipping houses and that was going well. I was having a good old time. Well, in the meantime, I hadn't noticed that our sales had kept going down and our costs, of course, keep creeping up. So all of a sudden, one day, we bounced this payroll check. And I was like, what do you mean bounce a check? We should have like $30,000, $40,000 in the account. What the heck is going on? And then finally looked into the business. I'm like, oh my gosh, we're in trouble. Like, we're in serious trouble. And within three months, I had to let my you know, vice president go. I was paying him like $80,000 plus a year. And I said, dude, you're doing a great job, but I can't afford you anymore. And before you know it, here I am running six restaurants. Now, I had no interest in running restaurants whatsoever. It was set up as a passive investment. And I said, okay, focus on this, put your energy in this, have a good attitude. And I sunk my energy in there and I worked with the managers and we did customer service. We introduced core values and just boom. And it was like trying to catch a falling knife. It's exactly what it was like. Nothing I did mattered. And we started getting to a break-even point. I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to sell these things. So I list them all for sale. All six were listed for sale and they're not selling, and they're not selling, and the situation gets worse and worse and worse. Before you know it, I'm losing $10,000 again per week, except for this time, I don't have any more money left because I deployed it all. I've exhausted my cash, and now I'm getting into lines of credit. It was this really, really stressful situation, and to my credit, I was actually relatively calm about that, where if this had to happen three, four years later, I probably would have slashed my wrist probably. No, I mean, serious, that's how stressful this would have been for me just a few years uh, later. And then I kind of learned my third lesson. And this is, again, where now I start asking, what should I be learning? You know, the one thing I've left over from the software days is we have, a, we have a vacation house a little bit an hour away from here that I paid for in cash at the time and then leveraged to open a restaurant. So <laughs> I was paying a mortgage on that one. It was a good idea at the time. The bottom line is I had planted a bamboo grove. And I love bamboo. And I planted this thing and this thing had grown over the years. And so I decided to spend a lot of time sitting in this bamboo, like meditating, praying, thinking about what should I be doing next, right? Because I'm losing a lot of money. I'm running out of any kind of liquidity, debt or otherwise. And I have a real problem right now because if this thing continues for not very long time at all, I'm going to lose everything and I'll probably get sued on top of that. And so I spend hours and hours reflecting. I think when you become silent, you start thinking much more deeply. Things become aware that you weren't aware of before. And one of the things that kept coming up is all the times I have taught. And I taught throughout my life. I taught tennis after college. I developed an adult literacy class for a local community college. It was built on the cash flow game, actually. I rolled out a financial literacy course at our church. And I had given a one-day course on how to buy apartment buildings. This was like three years prior. And every time I did that, 
I felt truly alive. Like I just really felt that's when it really got me lit up. And I got the strong ascension impression that I needed to help others become better entrepreneurs, help others become financially free. I mean, that's kind of what I was doing now. I was struggling right now, but, but on the one hand, I was also successful. I've tried a bunch of stuff. I flipped houses, apartment buildings, I had these restaurants, and I felt like I could spare other people a lot of grief by sharing things that have worked and things that have not worked. And of all the things I've done, the apartment buildings have always been, after this first two years, things quieted down considerably and started making money and everything was great. We thankfully sold it last year. We doubled our money in it and investors were happy, for example. And this wasn't the only time. And so these apartment buildings, from a startup perspective, from a passive income perspective, checked off way more boxes than everything else that I've done or even have seen other people do. So I said, you know, if I'm going to teach someone how to become financially free and avoid some of the pitfalls I've done, why don't I focus on apartment buildings? In that moment, I decided, you know what, I'm going to share what I've learned through this incredible experience and others since then. Why don't I share with the people how to raise money, because I've done that as well, and how to buy apartment buildings and how to scale that up. The only problem with this plan was that the business plan sucked. You know, I had this conversation with God. I said, I'm getting a strong impression you want me to share and help other people do this. But I have a big problem right now, and that's money right now. And if I do this, and I start researching the online business a little bit, I knew that you had to put out content, and you have to do guest posts, you have to grow your list, and then maybe two or three years down the road, maybe if you're lucky, you can monetize something, and then it'll grow into something, maybe. And so I did it anyway. I started blogging on the bigger pockets, and I put up a website, and I put up a, an ebook, and someone downloaded the ebook. And eventually I, I said, well, okay, people were asking me how to analyze deals. So I polished up my deal analyzer that I had used for like 300 deals before back in 2007, when I'd analyzed a bunch of deals in, in Texas. And I put this out and people said, this is great. What else do you got? And it sort of kind of snowballed. And as I was raising money for the apartment buildings and sharing with others, the whole thing kind of became more and more successful. And I think the reason for that is that I was working on my being. And the thing that I had to learn was, you know, leading up to that point, I was really more of a getter than a giver. Even though I, in my mind, I was trying to take and provide care of my family, I really was getting. What can I get? What can I get? And there was nothing, what can I give? Yes, I was trying to take care of my employees, but there was nothing like that. My heart wasn't in the right place. And in that moment in the bamboo, when I shifted from getting to giving is when everything changed. And that was my third lesson. And since interviewing people on this podcast, many, many, if not almost all people actually have made that transition before they became successful. Like Damien Lupo, for example, if I don't know what episode, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. You know, he talked about where he lost everything. He lost like $20 million and then something clicked in his mind and he said, look, it's not about me. And from that moment on, from a position of giving is where his current success came out. But the motivation can't be money. The motivation has to be, how can I help other people, right? So if you help enough people, the money will follow. And that was a very, very important lesson that I had to learn in that time. But it was, I'm telling you, it was very, very difficult because it didn't really solve my, my immediate problem. I had to have faith that God would take care of me in some way. Like I said, my business plan on paper really sucked. And it turned out to be much, much better, much faster through a combination of things that I couldn't have foreseen. And that's kind of my message to you is really, you got to work on your being first. And I think at the heart of that is total surrender. Now, this is kind of a weird, okay? Because total surrender means that I'm just giving up, you know, my willpower and I'm giving up my goals. And if I let a higher power take control of that, I'm going to end up in Africa. And I don't want to be in Africa, okay? I want this. I want a better life. 
I always thought that. I always thought if I surrendered to God, he'd send me to Africa. And I didn't want to go to Africa at the time. And I truly believe that God does not make you do anything you don't want to do. If you do something, it's because you're passionate about that. And eight years ago, I went to Africa, but not because God made it to, because I really, really, really wanted to go to Africa, right? So now I'm involved in this Ugandan mission. If you're curious about that, you can go to themichaelblank.com forward slash Uganda to see what I'm doing there. But what I'm saying is we kind of think that if I give up my free will, God's going to make me do stuff I don't want to do, right? And this is, I think, at the heart of it, that we don't believe that God is actually good, and he's just trying to manipulate us. And I truly believe it's not the case. The way I think about it now is that you're like a pen. Now, imagine you're taking a pen, and you're trying to write the Constitution of the United States with this pen. And this pen now has some free will. And this pen, because he doesn't understand what it's being used for, is now putting up a fight, and now they're not writing the document. The higher power controlling the pen now can't actually create a beautiful document because the pen is resisting with his own will. And that's kind of the way I see about it. My lesson is total surrender. There's a really great book that I suggest you guys read. It's called The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. And he's had a similar experience I did, though his route was significantly different, but his conclusion was exactly the same. And after he had surrendered his own being, really, he said, okay, do with me what you will. All of a sudden, God could use him for powerful things. He created amazing things. You got to read the book to see where this guy comes from being a hippie to controlling a billion dollar company. (laughs) It's really amazing. And so I really do think that in order to let God do, we just have to be. We just have to let God do with us what he thinks is best. And I can guarantee you in the process, you're going to have a lot of fun. You're going to have an incredibly fulfilled life. But it's very difficult to do when you don't surrender. So those are kind of my three lessons from the be, do, have. Uh, And Robert, if you're listening to stuff, I appreciate you treating these thoughts in me and this deep thought because I really do think there's a lot lot of truth and a lot of of introspection and awareness that we need to develop if we want to be truly successful. We have to give up. We have to totally surrender. So I'd love to hear your story at themichaelblank.com forward slash session 107. If you've had any kind of similar experiences, spiritual experiences or faith experiences, anything with surrender or control, or maybe you're struggling in these things, Because I really do think at the heart of every successful entrepreneur is spirituality. There's a certain strength there. It doesn't really matter what religion you are. You don't have to be Christian or anything like that. It's really a relationship with God. And I don't care care what you call God, higher power, the creator of the universe. It doesn't really matter because the phenomenon exists. Okay, whether you call it this or you call it that, the phenomenon is universal. Whether you use it or not, it's always there. It's like gravity and it's like light, right? So if you study every successful entrepreneur... There's a lot of faith involved, right? So you step out in faith and you don't control that and all of a sudden magical things happen. This phenomenon is there and that requires you that you have faith in something beyond your control, that something will happen to make the successful. And every business is formed in this way. And I really think it's at the heart of everything. So if you want to be a successful entrepreneur, really, really take a strong look at that. All right, guys, so I want to share that with you. It's been in my heart for a couple of weeks now. I want to share with that with you. I really appreciate you guys. Let me hear from you and you know, let me know I'm not completely nuts over here and uh, hopefully it does inspire you. Thanks so much. I'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.